Welcome to MMA on the Rocks. My name is Bill Welker. You are listening to episode 256 of the podcast. Are you joining me live on Facebook or YouTube? Remember, if you want to catch the show live, you got to subscribe on Facebook and YouTube and turn on your notifications. Today is Tuesday. September the 21st. I think we're quickly approaching the first day of fall, if we haven't already. And obviously I'm not home, for those of you watching the video. I am in the state of New York. You guys heard of it? (laughs) Uh, Up here at my sister and brother-in-law's house, uh, a little bit upstate New York, what a lot of people would consider upstate New York except people who are from the lower area of New York. People in Manhattan, like everything north of the Bronx is upstate New York to them. And people who live in that area just north of Manhattan, upstate to them is like Albany, Syracuse, you know, actually geographically upstate. In any case, I came up here for a week and uh, that's why I was late. On this episode, full disclosure, I did not watch UFC Fight Night 192 except for the main event. So I'll give you my thoughts on that. Um, And then I'll kind of breeze over the rest of the card. And I'm going to have to rely on you guys to tell me which fights I need to go back and watch. Uh, I'm getting on a plane this evening. So uh, if there's good Wi-Fi on the plane, maybe I'll go back and watch the fights then. Um, so leave me a comment or send me a DM or something. Let me know which fights from this fight night were worth watching. That was headlined by Anthony Smith and Ryan Spann. So I'm up here in New York. I was doing pretty well in terms of my diet, not like really on a diet, but just, you know, trying to keep things whole foods and, and eating clean and, you know, avoiding sugar and and bread and all that bad stuff until I got to New York because I'm realizing as I'm approaching my golden years of life that I grew up eating like pizza and bagels thinking that everybody got to enjoy these things around the world and you know then I travel places and live places outside of New York and realize holy shit there's nowhere else that knows how to make pizza and bagels, apparently. You would think these are foods that are just, you know, readily available wherever you go, and they are. They're just trash compared to what's in New York. I mean, it's just, it, it's like they're not even making the same food, it seems. So um, I've been going a little off the rails with uh, – you know, not just booze, but uh, pizza and bagels and pasta and things that I normally steer clear of uh, while I've been up here because everything is just so good. There's a there's a little bagel shop right down the street from my sister's house. <laughs> I'm getting trolled right now. My buddy Matt Temple saying that New York pizza is trash. I know that's just a trolling comment, so. I'm not even going to dignify it with a response. And actually, Matt, I'm glad you're tuning in because I'm drinking Henry McKenna, 
single barrel, bottle and bond bourbon, age 10 years. Um, this is a fantastic bourbon. Unfortunately, too many people found out about it. And my buddy Matt is actually the person who introduced me to this bottle uh, maybe two years ago or so. And since that time, I guess it made it on one of the whiskey advocate lists and, um, you know, people found out about it. Now it's pretty hard to come by. Uh, but luckily my brother-in-law had one in stock. So Dave, if you're, if you're watching, uh, I'm drinking all your whiskey while you're at work. Cheers. But yeah, this used to be a great, like bang for your buck bourbon that you could pick up for like 40 bucks. Not anymore. Uh, I mean, good luck finding it for less than double that. Uh, I've, I've seen it well over 100 for a bottle. And the average I catch it for is like between 70 and 80 now. Um, every now and then you'll luck out and find a spot that, that's had it sitting on the shelf for a while. And, um, you know, didn't realize there was a spike in the price. You know, because sometimes things just don't sell in certain areas for whatever reason. Like up here in New York... The shelves are just full of like Buffalo Trace and Eagle Rare and like nobody bats an eye at that stuff. Um, and a lot of places it's like price gouged, but you could still find it pretty decently priced. Uh, I actually wish I brought an extra suitcase because I bought so much whiskey uh, while I was up here. And it's hard to it's hard to collect whiskey like when you're traveling on an airplane because sometimes I drive to New York and, you know, no big deal. I'll fill up my trunk with cases of whiskey, but. You know, when you got to get your suitcase on a plane and, and keep it under the weight limit so they don't charge you an extra $5,000, um, you know, it becomes a problem. But the Henry McKenna is just awesome. You know, if you like really like rich, decadent, vanilla uh, bourbons that are that are smoothed out on the spiciness, uh, and this is just a fantastic bottle. It's bottled in bond, uh, which you guys have heard me talk about countless times on the show. One of the greatest federal mandates of these great United States of America was the bottled in bond act. So they have to be bottled in front of a government employee and they'll usually have, well, they'll always, if it's bottled in bond, they'll always have this, uh, government sticker on it that says bottled in bond under government supervision. So in order to be considered bottle and bond, it has to be aged for a minimum of four years in new oak barrels. So that means barrels that were made just for aging this whiskey. You couldn't have put anything else in it before. And it has to be bottled at 100 proof or 50% alcohol by volume. So uh, I, I recommend like a little bit of whiskey experience before diving into bottle and bond whiskeys because you're just not going to be able to appreciate them at, at hundred proof. Um, it's, it's going to be a, a little too much burn for you, but once you're acclimated to that proof, uh, it's just awesome. Like the flavors that open up in it, um, you know, cause you're able to taste past the alcohol. So by acclimated meaning like if you usually drink, like 80 proof, you know, Bacardi or Jim Beam or something like that, this will be like a little bit of a shock to your palate. But if you have gradually built yourself up, you know, Old Forester 86, 
you know, Elijah Craig, which is like a 94 proof Elijah Craig, small batch, uh, you know, you work your way up to that hundred proof, uh, to really appreciate all the flavors. And, uh, this definitely has a lot of flavor going on in it. So cheers to Matt for introducing me to this. Cheers to my brother-in-law, Dave, who had this in his house and, uh, unbeknownst to him is having it consumed on him while he's at work and uh cheers to all of you for tuning in so the point of this trip was for my daughter who is three years old to meet her baby cousin for the first time who is three months old and it just went awesome you know for anybody who cares about that kind of gushy family stuff. But um, my daughter's been so excited to meet her cousin for the past three months. And she talked about it every day saying how I'm going to get on a plane and see my baby Emily. And it was so cute when we finally got them all together. Um, by them all, I mean like the whole family to witness my daughter meeting her cousin and you know, she got to hold her and um, she was very patient with her when she would cry and things like that. And um, Just an awesome moment that that's going to be some great memories for everyone for many years. You know, all the pictures and videos and things like that. So uh, this trip was a great time spent with family. And since I was doing that, I didn't have time to, you know, watch the fights because, you know, I would have rather, you know, spend time uh with my niece and with my sister and brother-in-law and my brother and my parents and you know the good childhood friends I got to meet up with uh this week and including not a childhood friend but including Jeff the Animal Wilson who joined us for a little bit of apple picking on Saturday uh, and it, it was kind of funny because my wife asked Jeff if he had ever been apple picking and he hadn't. And he said, no, I don't do this white people shit. <laughs> um, which by the way, I thoroughly enjoy like Jeff, the animal and my wife, Claudia bicker like siblings. And it's hilarious to me. I actually think they need to have their own spin-off podcast where they just, they just talk shit to each other. And I think you guys would really enjoy that. So maybe we need to put together some bonus content or something with just, uh, just Jeff and my wife, like going blow for blow, uh, <laughs> just talking trash about each other because it gets to be really hilarious, especially, uh, if there's alcohol involved. Tried quite a bit of new whiskey while I was up here too, by the way. I have a lot to report on. I recorded a few more episodes of the new YouTube show that's going to be debuting. Uh, hopefully by the end of this month, you know, maybe within the first few weeks of October. And yeah, I got to try some new stuff. I, I have a new whiskey that i love that of course is hard to come by it's not distributed in many states and i'm not going to tell you guys about it because i don't want people going out and buying this whiskey and making it even harder for me to find because that tends to be the issue if you really want to know what i was trying out um 
you know, you can send me a DM on social media or something. And if I like you, maybe I'll, uh, I'll let you know about this distillery, this brand new distillery, not brand new, but new to me. Um, that just makes fantastic whiskey and you wouldn't expect it based on where they're based. Um, so if you want to know about that, you're going to have to subscribe to the new channel or, you know, send me a DM if you can't wait to find out about it. Last week, UFC Fight Night 192, which was UFC Vegas, I don't know, 30-something, 40-something, 37. Let's call it 37. I don't know. You guys don't come here for facts. <laughs> you just come here for booze information and, like, kind of fight talk. Anthony Smith, pretty dominant victory over Ryan Spann. Uh, this was the best Anthony Smith has looked in a while. You know, after the Glover Teixeira fight, a lot of people were coming down pretty hard on him, myself included, probably. Um, just because that fight was rough, man. He was beating the hell out of Glover. And then, you know, Glover, there's a reason he's getting this title shot in his 40s. He's, he's just so tough and durable and so good at weathering storms and able to make these comebacks even late in his career. And, you know, Anthony Smith, a lot of people remember, got his, got his teeth knocked out in that fight. And, you know, the, the fight wasn't stopped when it should have been. And a lot of people criticizing the corner for not throwing the towel and everything like that. But Anthony Smith, man, you forget because this guy's been around so long and he's been in so many wars. You forget this guy's only 33. You know, for a light heavyweight, that's that's right in the prime, you know. If he was a heavyweight, this is when he would have started training and he would have taken his first fight in like two or three years uh, and he still would have been one of the younger heavyweights. Um, he, he wouldn't even be ready for Bellator. For Bellator, you have to be like an actual senior citizen before they let you fight at heavyweight. Um, if you're not collecting your Social Security checks yet, uh, you can't fight heavyweight in Bellator. I think that's an actual fact. Like you don't have to look it up; just uh, you know, take my word for it. But Anthony Smith, man, this was a big test for Ryan Spann as well. You know, first main event, I believe. He was coming off of that impressive win over Misha Serkinov. His only loss in the UFC was to Johnny Walker, although he does have a loss to fellow UFC contender Carl Roberson uh, back on the contender series. So I don't know if you guys want to count that. Uh, that's like a, that's like a gray area for me. I don't think it's a UFC loss. In any case, they're both in the UFC now. So Ryan Spann... You know, if you look at his resume, like he knocked out Noguera. It doesn't matter that it was later in Noguera's career. Like you have a finish over one of the Noguera brothers. That's impressive in my book. I don't know if you guys agree. Uh, let me know if you don't. Uh, it's okay to have a different opinion, even if it's wrong. But, you know, in my book, a finish of a Noguera brother is, that's impressive to me. But, you know, first main event here, I believe. Feel free to correct me on that. 
you know, this was going to be a big test. And, um, you know, he had good moments uh, in this fight. You know, he was a step behind in the striking. But, you know, the grappling, he was able to get on top of Anthony Smith. He was able to get his back at one point. And Anthony Smith, you know, the experience really shined through. He was able to stay calm, uh, you know, defend those submissions fairly easily. And then, uh, you know, he landed some nice lead hooks on the feet that put Ryan Spann down wobbled him quite a bit. This was a really fun fight for as long as it lasted, which was three minutes and 47 seconds. Uh, <laughs> I was able to, I was able to put aside three minutes and 47 seconds to watch this fight this week, uh, amongst all the, the fun with, uh, infants and toddlers and lions and tigers and bears. Oh my. But, um, you know, Smith looked good. I mean, we know he has power. We know he's got grappling. We know he's got experience. It was always just a matter of, is he in that upper echelon? And, you know, it's been a question for a long time. I mean, he struggled with John Jones, but who hasn't, you can't hold that against him. Um, and you know, he's had some big wars. Let me just pull up, pull up his resume here. So he's, this was the third win in a row. And, you know, there was the rough patch after he fought John Jones for the title. You know, he submitted Alexander Gustafson, but then lost to Glover Teixeira. And then immediately after lost to uh, Alexander Rakich by decision. And it looks like those two are going to go at it again, um, which is cool because he called him out. And then Rakich tweeted right away, you know, he's free in December. Michael Bisbee in the post-fight interview told Anthony Smith and Anthony was like, Merry Christmas to me, which was a, that was a, that was a good, uh, that was a good little clip. Like the UFC is going to put that one in their back pocket from when this fight comes together, they're going to put it in the Christmas promo. So the question with Anthony Smith was, you know, is he in that upper echelon because he's beaten guys who are, you know, Alexander Gustafson, Volkan Ozdemir, um, Rashad Evans. You, you guys remember for a little while, he was on that Legends Killer tour. Uh, you know, beat Hector Lombard, beat Rashad Evans, beat Shogun Hua, uh, beat Alexander Gustafson. And then it seemed like the John Jones fight did something to him that kind of like threw him off a little bit mentally. And that seems to be the pattern with guys who fight John Jones. So the question, is he an upper echelon fighter? Well, he dominated a younger contender in a main event. So yeah, maybe. Um, the thing I would say, and this is just, you know, I hate to be critical of any, anybody getting in there doing it, especially at the level of Anthony Smith, but you know, there were some pretty glaring holes in his striking defense. And that would concern me against guys like Jan Blahovich, the current champ. Because, you know, if you get touched by Ryan Spann, it's one thing. If you get touched by Jan Blahovich with that Polish power, it's a it's a whole other ball game. And Anthony Smith's a tough dude. We know he has a chin. Um it, you know, we know that he could you know, get his teeth knocked out of his head and, and still come back and win fights. Um, 
is he good enough to win a title? And he's got, you know, 33. He's probably right in his prime right now, but it's a small window, man. You know, he, he's probably got two, three years of a window to, to make this title run. And like two losses in a row will probably make it like not even a possibility. So we'll see. I think the potential is there, you know, if he's able to get in there, you know, a focused, patient Anthony Smith is a dangerous man. You know, that's somebody that, that nobody should be wanting to get in there with, but apparently Alexander Rakic wants, uh, wants to prove another something else, uh, you know, already holds a win over Smith, but you know, feels like, you know, it would be worth running back. I think it's a fun fight. I think the buildup is perfect, and um, I'm excited for it. So looking up and down this card, Iwan uh, Kutalaba, unanimous decision over Devin Clark. That was one I was looking forward to, but I didn't get to see, unfortunately. Uh, Armand Saryukian starting to finish people in the first round, finish Christos Diagos in the first round. So that's a scary thing. <laughs> a guy with that kind of wrestling and grappling is starting to TKO people in the first round, you know, look out lightweight division. Uh, looks like we had a lot of knockout finishes, uh, on this fight. Uh, I mean, on this fight card that is, uh, what am I looking for here? We had a draw between Gustavo Lopez and Haile Alatang. Uh, let me know what's worth, Going back here, uh, Hannah Goldie, first round submission over Emily Whitmire. Uh, Joaquin Buckley, third round knockout over Antonio Arroyo. Uh, this was the one I pointed out to you guys was my sleeper fight. Let me know if I was right on that one and uh, if, if I should go back and watch that one and, and anything else on this card, really. Uh, unless you guys recommend it to me, I'm just going to take a pass and uh, look forward to UFC 266 which is going to be at the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada. And do I even have to tell you guys what the real main event of this card is? It's Nick Diaz and Robbie Lawler. You know, hardcore fan, casual fan. This is the one that people are talking about. This is the one that people want to see. My friends who don't ever watch UFC know that this fight is coming up. They're like, hey, Nick Diaz is coming back. What do you think about this? It's a rematch against Robbie Lawler. Nick Diaz knocked him out the last time they fought, which was both of their first runs in the UFC. That was back in 2004. UFC 47, if you can believe it. Second round knockout. And Steve Mazzagatti was the referee, and he actually stopped a fight. So you know it was like a legitimate knockout. You see a knockout on somebody's record, and Steve Mazzagatti was the referee, you know that's that's a legit accomplishment. Uh, since that fight, they both had stints, you know, in strike force and elsewhere. Uh, Nick Diaz's last fight was in 2015. So... January 2015. 
My sources are telling me it was exactly 209 months ago. Is that true? I don't know. What is two, January 2015? That's what, six and a half years ago? Uh, so he lost that fight to Anderson Silva, but then Anderson Silva tested positive for steroids. So that was turned into a no contest. And Nick Diaz tested positive for marijuana, and the Athletic Commission tried to suspend him for five years, which is something that gets Nick Diaz fans up in arms. This is a tough one for me, man. I'm such a Nick Diaz fan. You guys know if you've been listening to the show, I've partied with Nick Diaz in Orlando after uh, the same night that Nate fought uh, Michael Johnson in Orlando. Uh, oh, the Robbie Lawler fight was 209 months ago. That's an awesome statistic. There are a lot of people talking about that. I have quite a few of the popular MMA journalists block on social media, so I don't see their uh, clickbait. Um, this is a tough one for me. You know, I obviously have, you know, I've had a personal interaction with Nick Diaz, so like I'll never not be a fan of him. But Robbie Lawler is one of my favorite fighters of all time. Uh, and I, I'm usually like never in anybody's corner. I'm like, you know, I just want to see a good fight. You know, it's very rare that I have fighters unless I know them personally. Very rare that I have fighters that, you know, I'm like rooting for. I'm always just looking for a good fight. If somebody misses weight, then I'm rooting against them. I don't want to see them succeed after, uh, you know, sanctioned cheating. But it's pretty rare that, you know, I only have a small handful of fighters who I don't know personally that I actually want to see do well. And these guys are both. And I know they have a, a ton of respect for each other. Um, you know, it's just business to them, but these are two guys with huge fan bases. I mean, who doesn't like Robbie Lawler? If you're a fan of MMA and exciting fights, uh, how do you not like Robbie Lawler? I mean, if, if you're thing, if you watch MMA for like the drama and trash talk and like, you know, old school, tough episodes where guys were getting drunk and, and doing wild shit, like if that's why you're into MMA, I can see you not being a fan of Robbie Lawler. And that's cool. Like, you know, different strokes for different folks. But if you're just an MMA fan, like there's no way you don't love Robbie Lawler. Like this guy has never been in a boring fight, win or lose. And that, that's not even my opinion. That's like actual fact. I know I just said you don't come to this show for facts. But when I give you one, like you kind of have to take that as gospel, I think. How does this fight go? I don't know. Obviously, Robbie's been more active. But Nick has shown that that doesn't matter. He looks in fantastic shape. He's been doing triathlons. He looks shredded. Um, if he's taking the fight, he must be ready. You know, he went through a rough patch there for a while where it looked like, you know, he was boozing it up a little too much, which, you know, who am I to judge? So I won't. Uh, man, there, I, I mean, these are two guys who bring it. Neither one of them is known for taking a step backwards. They're both volume strikers. I don't imagine this fight will go to the ground. 
Um, you know, if it does, I would think that Nick Diaz would have to pull guard because Robbie is the better wrestler, um, you know, defensively and offensively. And I don't think Robbie's going to take Nick down because he knows how dangerous he is off his back. So, you know, this has all the makings for just a classic slugfest and, and a lot of nostalgia who remember that fight from UFC 247. All right. So that's the main event. We can all agree on that, right? Nick Diaz against Robbie Lawler is the main event of this pay-per-view. I imagine like views will drop off consist like significantly is the word I was looking for. Significantly, the views will drop after this fight. Uh, I won't be one of those people that, that's going to stop viewing after this fight. But let's talk about the paper main event. Alexander Volkanovsky, Brian Ortega. They coached against each other on the Ultimate Fighter. Nobody watched it. Um, and if you're one of the five or six people who watched it, you don't have to yell at me in the comments and say, I watched this season. That's great for you. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, you know, I hope it brought so much joy to your weeknight. Uh, I tried to watch this season. They tried to like instigate some drama between these two and it was just cringeworthy. I, uh, I couldn't get into it. Uh, there was no drama with the fighters. Every episode was like a 20 minute training montage and then the fight. And it was like, uh, if I had to write a review of this season, of the ultimate fighter, it would be, uh, be a pretty, pretty short review. Volkanovski and Ortega is an interesting fight though because a lot of people of course started to write off Ortega after the Max Holloway fight it was a one-sided beating uh, he was beating him up so bad you'll remember that Holloway actually grabbed Ortega's hands and told him he needs to keep them up and that's why he's getting hit so much in the middle of the fight it was one of the most degrading condescending hilarious moment that's ever taken place in a UFC fight. Ortega goes away for a couple of years, comes back for the Korean zombie fight. And everybody's like, oh, it's been two years since that Holloway beat down, like Korean zombies probably going to put it on him. And Ortega comes out and puts a, a striking clinic on against a guy who, is widely regarded as one of the best strikers in the division. All right. It was his own, you know, Holloway fight was his only loss before that. Look what he did. Knocked out Frankie Edgar, submitted Cub Swanson, submitted Hinato Moicano, knocked out Clay Guida, submitted Diego Brandao, knocked out Tiago Tavares. People forget quick, <laughs> you know, that one Holloway fight overshadows all of that. You know, if he keeps winning, then people are like, oh, wow, Frankie Edgar, Cub Swanson, Hato Mocano, Clay Guida, Diego Brando, Diego Tavares. This guy is a fucking beast. But the Max Holloway fight happens, changes the course of history. People are like, ah, that guy's a scrub. Don't forget, man. 
this guy, he learns quick. He filled in those holes in the striking. Now, has he reached Max Holloway's level of striking? No. And Max Holloway couldn't get the job done against Alexander Volkanovsky. A lot of people thought Holloway won, you know, possibly both fights, definitely the second fight. I'm one of those people. I think Holloway won the fight. But on paper, he didn't get the job done. And on paper, he's a way better striker than Ortega. So you have to give the striking advantage to Volkanovsky. You know, Ortega's got the reach and he's, you know, lankier, everything like that. We know Volkanovsky can deal with that. Then you look at the grappling. Obviously, as far as submissions go, Ortega is leaps and bounds ahead of Volkanovsky. But Volkanovsky is a way better wrestler. So it's not going to go to the ground unless Volkanovsky wants it to. You know, Ortega could pull guard, but it's going to be hard to pull guard against a lower, stockier guy. That's like trying to drag a fire hydrant to the ground. First, you got to rip it out of the ground, and then you got to pull it on top of you. And then you've got this fire hydrant on top of you that you have to try to submit. I don't know if you've ever seen a fire hydrant, but their limbs are not very long and they're heavy. So when I think about this logically, Volkanovsky should win. But that's the same way I thought about the Korean zombie fight. You know, both of these guys only have one loss. So it's like, they have both won a bunch of fights that they were supposed to lose. That's what makes this fight so intriguing to me. Because, you know, whoever you think is the favorite, the other guy has won fights where he's been a huge underdog before. And that's why I don't think... I mean, I haven't looked at the betting lines or anything. I don't think you could have a favorite in this. I think it's got to be even money. And I don't bet or gamble, so... don't. And I'm not going to look it up either. So <laughs> I don't know how valuable my opinion is when it comes to gambling, but I, I don't think you could justify picking one of these guys to win this fight. I think it's a coin toss. I think it's going to be, you know, who's able, whoever is able to get in there and control the fight for five rounds, which, you know, gone to my head, I would think Volkanovsky, you know, it just seems like he just seems like he's better in the areas that help control a fight. Co-main event, Valentina Shevchenko putting the flyweight title on the line against Laura Murphy. This one's pretty easy to pick a favorite. You know, Lauren Murphy's been on a hot streak lately. She's looked really good. You would think the only way for her to win this fight is if Valentina Shevchenko, you know, wasn't training hard or, you know, was getting lazy. And I don't think that's even within the realm of possibility with this woman because she's just such a badass. She seems like she's always training hard, whether she's got a fight or not. She's always in shape. She's always on point. I imagine she's going to be a huge betting favorite in this one. Um, I'm, a, I'm a big Valentina fan. 
you know, I've been on her bandwagon for many years now. But part of me thinks it'd be kind of cool to see Laura Murphy get this huge upset. So we'll see what happens. I'm, I'm very interested in that one, too. Then we got Curtis Blades and Jarzinho Rosenstrike. These are two guys who, you know, have made it to the top of the ladder and just got knocked off. You know, Curtis Blades is kryptonite. The only things have been Francis Ngannou and Derek Lewis. There's no shame in that. You know, no shame at all. Look at this guy's resume, the things he's done in this in this division. You know, beat Alexander Volkov, knocked out Junior Dos Santos, knocked out Shamil Abdurahimov, beat Justin Willis, knocked out Alistair Overeem, beat Mark Hunt, TKO'd Alexi Olenek. Um, and, and this is like, this guy made his de UFC debut after five professional fights. And he was able to put this resume together. And this is a guy that does not get a lot of respect. Um, it, you know, and people even go as far as to call him like a boring wrestler. Out of his 14 wins, 10 of them are knockouts. <laughs> but, you know, if you wrestle at all, you're considered a boring wrestler. So, you know, do with that information what you will. <laughs> and Rosenstrike, you know, he's had the same issues. He, he had a problem with Nganu. Just got bum rushed and, um, you know, got outpointed by Cyril Gunn, who's fighting for the championship. So these are two guys that are both elite in this heavyweight division. This fight matters a lot. You know, if something happens to Nganu or Cyril Gunn before they fight, the winner of this could be stepping in on short notice. So th this fight has big implications for the heavyweight division. Uh, and the, the loser will probably get fed to Tom Aspinall. I imagine. Jessica Andrade and Cynthia Calvillo. That's a really fun fight. I'll tell you the most interesting fight to me, uh, you know, outside of Nick Diaz and Robbie Lawler, Marlon Marais and Marab Devalishvili. Marab is a cardio machine. He's a takedown machine. He's shattered the takedown record in this division. Uh, nobody can keep up with this guy. Uh, Marlon Marais, you know, for the first round and a half, it is going to be the most dangerous test for Marab. But once it gets past that, once the gas tank is emptied for Marlon, you know, that's when he becomes really vulnerable. And it, it's been a problem for him in the past. I imagine he's going to move up to 145. If not right after this fight, then, you know, pretty soon just because of those cardio issues, but you got to remember what Marlon Marais is capable of. I mean, this guy is a knockout machine, especially for bantamweight, because you don't see a ton of knockout power at this weight class. Bit of a rough patch, you know. He got TKO'd by the champ, Henry Cejudo. Then that close split decision win over Jose Aldo, which nobody really thinks he won. Then he was knocked out with that spinning wheel kick by Corey Sanhagen. And then he was TKO'd by Rob Font in the first round. But before that, first round finishes over Rafael Asuncao, Jimmy Rivera, and Aljamain Sterling, the current champ. 
Dude's dangerous. This is either going to be, you know, he's either going to be able to stop this young machine of a contender or, you know, he's going to be buried on the prelims after this one. That's the way it's going to go for Marlon. For Marab, this is a huge opportunity. You know, if he's able to be dominant or even get a finish here, you know, maybe he gets that Sean O'Malley fight he's been clamoring for for the past, you know, however long Sean O'Malley's been in the UFC. Uh, you know, or he gets possibly a main event with a win here. So big implications for that one. And we got this one just this fight is just hiding out down on the the prelims, I guess. Dan Hooker and Nasrat Hogparas. This is a fantastic fight. So here's my sleeper pick. Dan Hooker and Nasrat Hogparast. Um you know, Hogparast last fought in March. Um won a unanimous decision over Hafa Garcia. And then I believe there was a fight or two where he had trouble getting into the octagon, whether it was weight cutting issues or, or whatever the case. Uh, so hopefully that doesn't happen because this is a fantastic fight. Then we got uh, Shamil Abdurahimov and Chris Dawkins. That's a really fun heavyweight fight. Roxanne Mataferi and uh, Talia Santos. That should be a good one. Euros Medic and Jalen Turner. Another fun fight. Uh, and then we got our boy Carl Roberson, who we were just talking about earlier, against the undefeated Nick Maximoff. So it'd be good to see Carl get back in there. Uh, you know, he was fighting higher up on the card, and, you know, things didn't go his way a little bit. And uh, here he is on the, you know, the earlier part of the evening. He's got to work his way back up. He's got a young, tough kid in Maximoff in front of him. Let's just take a quick look at him. Six and zero, five of them by finish. He's a uh, contender series fighter, but he fought on the contender series in November 2020. So almost a year later, and here he is making his UFC debut uh, against Carl Roberson, who's a beast. So that's going to be a big test for this young kid. Is he young? How old is this dude? He is 23. Yeah. <laughs> so I was right. I, I call everybody a kid now because I'm getting to be that age. This is a fun card, man. Uh, this is a this is a great pay-per-view. I imagine it's going to do awesome numbers just because of Nick Diaz and Robbie Lawler. What else do I have to say? I, I mean, I don't make any commission off the pay-per-view sales. You know, buy it, stream it. I don't give a shit. Um, you know, just drink some good whiskey while you're watching it and wear some merchandise from your favorite MMA podcast, MMA on the Rocks, through our friends at Team Reaper. Reaper1.co is the website. MMA Rocks 10 is the promo code to save yourself 10% on your entire order. That's MMA ROCKS 110. Oh, 10. And, um, you know, you don't have to buy our merchandise. Of course, we greatly appreciate if you do, but you want to buy something else, a new gi, gear bag, some sparring gloves, save yourself 10%. MMA Rocks 10 is the promo code. All the links to our merchandise will be in the show notes, as always. So thank you for everybody who 
you know, purchases merchandise and supports the show and equal, if not slightly lesser thanks to everybody who just tunes in and listens to me rant for an hour every week, a little less this week, but you know, it is what it is. Things happen. At least I got the episode in. Otherwise I would have given you guys a full refund. All right. Well, if you guys want to get a hold of Jeff the Animal Wilson, obviously he wasn't able to be here because this is the middle of the day on a Tuesday and I'm on vacation and he's working. So that's where he is. But if you want to send him some love, you can do so at Animal underscore Wilson, Twitter and Instagram. You guys know how to get a hold of me. It's MMA on the Rocks, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, probably some other places I don't even know of. You can email me, MMA on the Rocks at gmail.com. You can go to the website, send a message through there, which will go to my email or somewhere, my assistant. I don't know. In any case, that's all I got for this week. Until next time. Cheers, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs>